No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody boogie bumper tonight. Let's go! You're live with another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, tonight's recommended drink is cheap box wine. Tonight's recommended snack, land brand no-name crackers. This is the official wine and back crackers broadcast. Yada, yada, yada. Thank you for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's been a while. We're back. We're back, baby. Almost two weeks. Thank you for your patience. Uh, if you can, if you if you've got a good ear, uh, I suspect you can probably hear that I'm still not 100. percent But fuck it, we're doing it. Uh, winning TV with a diamond. Thank you, sir. And the rice man, rice man double four double three. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back, our king. Winning TV. Uh, carts are in the corral. I'm glad you were taking care of things here on the ground, Phil. Thank you very much. You're, you're probably going to enjoy tonight's show more than anyone, I, I suspect, because you're equally nerdy. <laughs> you match my own nerdiness when it comes to stuff like this, like we're going to do tonight. Uh, Gypsy of Diamonds with the diamond. Vanda just steals the diamond, Gypsy. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Yes, welcome back. Welcome back. Yes, welcome back. But like I was saying, if if you've got a good set of ears, you can probably tell that I'm still not, you know, 100%. It's just the nature of what happens when I get to, I'm not going to be 100% for a long time now and when I say a long time I mean like probably a month because that's generally how it works I don't get sick very often but when I do I get sick um you know for a long time if that makes sense you know I'd be lucky to get sick every two or three years at the best um and last time I got sick with like similar um you know similar ailments was probably about two or three years ago and I was in bed for like two months and I, I lost my voice. So I didn't do a stream for maybe three or four months. And when I came back, I still like kind of spoke like this. It kind of ruined the year, basically. It was like an eighth, nine month turnaround. So that was maybe like three years ago. It's not that bad this time. Don't get me wrong. It's not that bad this time, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be with us for a while, unfortunately. But thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Lou, the good dude, with a couple of diamonds during the intro. Thank you very much. If you'd like to leave a tip during tonight's proceedings, the preferred method is, of course, streamlabs.com slash boogie bumper, or you can head over to DLive, grab some of those succulent little lemons and leave those sour little suckers in my fruit bowl, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, to mark the occasion, because I was collecting stuff in the usual, you know, daily boogie podcast way, checking a bunch of like news outlets, checking a bunch of media sources, uh, a few little treasure troves that I like to keep an eye on. M- maybe not treasure trove, probably isn't the right description. They're more like crab traps. So I throw like a few traps out in the mud and, you know, I check, I go around and I check the traps every couple of days, you know, places like Slate and Salon and The Guardian, right? And I sift through the mud and occasionally we get ourselves a tasty little um, crustacean. So I was doing that, you know, checking, wading through the mud, looking through the shit 
to try and find these crabs. And I was having a side conversation with a friend of mine a couple of days ago who was, you know, with all due respect, trying to canonise Hillary Clinton. (laughs) I'm being a bit cheeky, but was, you know, essentially trying to get me on board with materials that would suggest that Hillary was loved and, you know, America's grandmother and stuff. Holy shit! Ducks Regionus, we're dropping the fucking guinea on us. Thank you so much, Mr. Regionus. Uh, get well, Boogie, get well soon, get well. I think that's a song. I don't know it. Who sung that one? I'm not sure. Thank you very much, sir. Very generous of you. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, you know, uh, to which I was, I was talking about at times gone past. And I, I suggested to my friend that uh, Hillary lost for a reason, that being that she was hated by Democrats just as much as she was hated by Republicans. And that uh, there's always been this air, this stink around Hillary Clinton for a big, for a lot of people like across either side of the aisle. Um, and I used, I used, as evidence of this, I provided you know, one of the foremost sort of journalists, commentators, writers of the 90s, who was on one hand um, a big left winger, you know, a very a very uh, upfront and honest about their views, you know, kind of to the left of the Democrats, kind of a writer and a speaker who absolutely detested the Clintons, Bill and Hillary, and, you know, dedicated years of his life to, you know, basically talking about how corrupt they are, how stupid they are, how opportunistic they are, how phony they are. So I was going through these various materials and then I came across something and I thought, you know what, this is a, this is going to be a bit like the, you know, for the OG listeners and unfortunately the Periscope, the Periscope's gone. We're not on Periscope anymore. So if you were listening to the show via Periscope over the last couple of years, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to migrate over to one of these alternative platforms. <laughs> it's very difficult to get people who use Periscope to stop using Periscope, but it looks as though that you know uh, Twitter, who purchased Periscope a few years ago, has now made that decision for us. <laughs> Holy shit! Holy shit! At real person, PLTCS, James R, dropping in with the fucking guinea. Hello, fucking ha, my man. Thank you very much. Everybody's favourite pundit in a Hawaiian shirt. So, you know, another tragic loss of Periscope is we're no longer going to be able to map the various uh, dumpsters around Hawaii (laughs) as James would drive around and, you know, film the various recycling receptacles and whatnot. Now, of course, at Real Personal PLTC, still on YouTube, still on DLive. Uh, Give our boy James a follow. Thank you very much, sir. Very generous of you. So... Uh, as I was saying, so I was, I was, you know, I ended up going down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole and I came across this clip, which in my opinion, to me personally, is just pure fucking joy. It's from 1998 and James might want to, I was actually thinking before the show that James and Phil are the two people that I know, winning TV, are the two people that I know who, you know, I wish you, you're probably going to have to fill in a lot of gaps for, not a lot of gaps, but a, a few gaps 
because there's going to be references made in this video which younger people won't understand and i have like a cursory understanding of things that were happening politically when i was you know 10 or 12 years old only because i read about it and now i remember vague conversations being had in the family home around the dinner table and stuff like that politics was always an issue in our house the adults were always talking about it so you know then their feelings were well known right <laughs> those kinds of people <laughs> uh, these days you would call them what would you call them uh, extremists <laughs> bigots so what and what have you <laughs> so we're going back to 1998 and i found this c-span clip we have two journalists of which i i adore both of them i think they're both amazing um, from different sides of the political aisle. One, a constitutional monarchist, um, a, a, a relatively hardline Christian conservative. And on the other side, um, you know, a degenerate, <laughs> a degenerate social Democrat who espouses the virtues of uh, alcoholism and, you know, engaging in vice both you know, sexually and, you know, with the drink and, and cigarettes and whatnot. And it's, it's quite a, it's quite a duo. And this C-SPAN clip is just beautiful because the politics of the day back in 1998, if you're a bit, if you're a little bit younger, you, you may not know about these kinds of things. If you're a little bit older, you'll probably, like I said, for, you know, James and Phil, who are just perhaps a little bit older than myself, they can probably fill in some gaps here. Uh, in 1998, I was 16 years old, a, a lively 16-year-old. <laughs> I was still like uh, aware of politics because, like I said, kind of growing up, it was always spoken about and stuff. Um, but it was obviously, you know, at 16 years old, you're also concerned with, you know, how can I touch a boob on the weekend? You know, <laughs> where am I going? Where am? I, who is going to purchase my alcohol for me because I'm underage? These are also questions that are swirling around when you're 16 years old. You're not so concerned with the political plight of the free world. That comes later in life. But in 1998, the big scandal of the day was Bill Clinton was the president, the Democrat, Slick Willie, the sax player. Oh, yeah, I'll meet you in the uh, tool shed round back. Yeah. Formerly the governor of Arkansas, he was the president. And he was involved in a number of scandals <laughs> during his time as president. And, you know, the biggest one of which, the one that got the most uh, column space and conversation about it was the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Now, Monica Lewinsky was a very average kind of um, heifer who's, who's, I think, was it her mother-in-law or something or her father-in-law? One of the calls during this video that we're about to see, because it's great, because like people call in to talk to these two journalists as well. And some of the moments with like, you know, just normal people. You know what? I won't get too far into it. I'm already blowing it. We'll just get to the clip. But the reason I enjoyed this, because I, I did something I very rarely do. I watched the whole clip and I thought this would be great because there are so many little Easter eggs here. So many comparable moments to today, as was being discussed back in 1998, that... If you were around then, hopefully you get something new out of it. And if you weren't around then, I think it will show just how little some things have changed. Like we like to think that we live in this era of mass change. Everything's in a state of flux. 
everything's fluid, everything's constantly changing and it's dynamic. And when you watch this and you listen to some of the conversations and the talking points and the arguments, you'll re- you'll come to realize that if you're a younger person and you're very uh, motivated politically, just just remember this this ain't the first time this has happened. And you could say just about anything that's happening now. And you can say, well, look, it's happened before. We've already been through the mill. We've already done this. So I think you'll enjoy it in that respect. So without further ado, I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be so much fun. Ladies and gentlemen, from 1998 on CBS, uh, is it CBS? Yes, it's CBS. No, it's C-SPAN, pardon me. On C-SPAN in 19, 19- look at that date. The 1st of January, it's 9.05 in the morning on the 1st of January, 1998. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I will do this. I will just give a little bit of quick background. From Wikipedia, the Clinton Lewinsky scandal was a United States political sex scandal that involved a 49-year-old President Bill Clinton. At the time, I think he was one of the youngest presidents who was ever elected. Uh, and 22-year-old, well, at the time, he still would be the case, wouldn't it? George Bush wasn't in his early 40s. Uh, 22-year-old White House intern Monica Lewinsky. The sexual relationship took place between 1995 and 1997 and came to light in 1998. Clinton ended a television speech in late January 1998. I remember this, even though I was 16 years old, because, like I said, we were still talking about politics and stuff around, you know, my house. So I was well aware of this, but... There were some things, obviously, you know, you missed because you're a kid. With a statement that he did not, I uh, did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. I remember that like it was yesterday. Further investigation led to charges of perjury and to the impeachment of Bill Clinton in 1998. So we are dropping into the conversation around the time of his impeachment trial. And just to highlight already, like, take, you know, tick that first box and show you how in some respects, so very little has changed. Um, I'm going to jump ahead here and show you some of the ridiculousness, some of the absolutely absurd spin and cover and shit that has not changed in 30 years, show you just how ridiculous it was. During the deposition, Clinton was asked, have you ever had sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky? As the term is defined in Deposition Exhibit 1, The judge ordered that Clinton be given an opportunity to review the agreed definition. Afterwards, based on the uh, definition, so the definition of what exactly? Sexual relations, all right? So we're defining what sexual relations are. There was a moment during this whole trial and shit where Bill Clinton, this is a real quote, I swear to God. You know how you look at politicians now, like say a Maisie Hirono or a Joe Biden, and you say, how the hell could they say something so stupid? Again, this is not new. There was a moment during the trial, I think it was during the trial, and Bill Clinton, after you know being asked, what do you think this is, or something to that effect, he said, that depends on what your definition of is is. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> That's how lawyers were operating in the late 90s. Well, that depends on what your definition of is is. Exact Foggy remembers, look at this, define what is is. <laughs> so that was part of it. The sheer, the sheer unbridled, uh, unapologetic ridiculousness of it all was evident to anybody who was paying attention. It was a joke. It was a running joke. Listen to this. 
So we're defining what sexual relations means. Based on the definition created by the Independent Counsel's Office, Clinton answered, quote, I have never had sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky. Clinton later said, I thought the definition included any activity by me where I was the actor and came in contact with those parts of the bodies, which had been explicitly listed. In other words, Clinton denied that he had ever contacted Lewinsky's genitalia, anus, groin, breast, inner thigh, or, bot- or buttocks. This is this. Is, so we're defining what sexual relations mean, and effectively claimed that the agreed-upon definition of sexual relations included giving oral sex but not receiving it. <laughs> I hope it's not too much of an, uh, you know, a hyperbolic statement, but I think it's fair to say that Bill Clinton was effectively the John Gotti of politics. You know, in order to avoid perjury charges, that being, but you know, lying under oath, which he did, in order to <laughs> avoid perjury charges in his impeachment trial, he redefined the meaning of sexual relations to include every sexual act except the one he partook in. I mean, that's why that's why they called him Slick Willie. It wasn't because he played the sax. It's because he could get away with fucking anything. And he would smile to the camera while he was telling you about it. Well, yeah. well the decision's been made and I'm just glad that I can get back to work bombing... Uh, various Yugoslavian countries and taking out hospitals in the Middle East. Thank you very much. Yeah, he could just do it. He could just get away with it. So it's within that context that we jump to our clip, ladies and gentlemen. 1998 C-SPAN, the brothers Hitchens, Peter Hitchens and Christopher Hitchens, whom I both, like I said in the intro, whom I both adore. I think they're both amazing. Uh, Brilliant writers in their own right. Two of my favorite writers in the same family. Peter Hitchens, uh, both Englishmen. Peter Hitchens, uh, the constitutional monarchist, who's a very strong, you know, Christian conservative. And as I said, uh, his brother, Christopher Hitchens, who is an atheist, social Democrat, left-winger. It's brilliant. Winning TV with a diamond. Cigar poking is not me. It's the cigar's fault. Yes. <laughs> it's the cigar's fault. That depends on what. That depends on the what definition you use for the word me. That depends what is is right. So let's go. 1998 C-SPAN. And as I said, there are so many little Easter eggs in this clip. So many things where you're going to go, huh, ah, ah, right. So many of those moments. I thought we we have to do it on the show. So let's go. On C-SPAN's Washington Journal, the Hitchens brothers are back, one on the right coast, one on the left coast. We'll start here on the right coast with Peter Hitchens. What do you make of all of this? Well, apart so the, from all- at, You know, the 30th of January, um, 1998, I believe the trial, the impeachment trial has just begun of Bill Clinton, you know, regarding all of the things I was just talking about. All the laughing I've been doing, uh, I'm beginning to feel that I've come out here perhaps a little too soon. It doesn't seem to be developing as fast as everyone in London thought it would. I, I think over here you had Sam Donaldson saying it was going to be all over in a couple of days, and it hasn't been. It has as all the Clinton problems did before when I was here, bogged down 
into lawyers. And once the lawyers get hold of it, I rather fear that it will disappear into itself for a long time and quite possibly <laughs> run into the ground, which is a shame because it looked as if the real problems of the Clinton presidency, although they're not about sex, were finally going to be encapsulated in one big piece of dishonesty and scandal. This does <laughs> Straight away, right? The things that don't that the things that do not change. Because he predicted he got it exactly right. Once the lawyers get hold of it, it becomes ridiculous and then it disappears within itself, never to be spoken about again. That's exactly what happened. Like we pointed out just before the clip, they they were having conversations. They redefined what sexual relations was to exclude the oral sex that Bill Clinton received. Receiving oral sex was no longer a sexual act, which is fucking amazing. You you could just make up your own definitions. That's what lawyers do. Well, we can't answer that question because you haven't defined what is is. (laughs) So sorry about that. He was 100% right, even back then feel a bit odd you came what three four thousand miles from great britain to come here yes and your brother left us to go to san francisco where he's living good morning mr christopher hitchens and what's your take on all this good morning brian um it's filled me with a new respect for the american right i'd up till now thought of them as rather an unpolished (laughs) one of the things you have to remember and i'll I'll, i will pause from time to time it's not going to be as much as this but just there's a couple of things we need to get uh context based down first um (laughs) Back then, people who were talking about this affair were, it, were... Hillary Clinton famously said that this is a GOP-led conspiracy theory. How many shows have we dedicated? You know, I think I'm up to, like, episode 360 or thereabouts of this podcast. It's got to be at least 50 of them where we have spoken about actual observable fact, things that are actually happening, where, and, you know, politicians namely Democrat politicians of today's day and age will sit there and say directly to your face, that is a conspiracy theory. Only for said conspiracy theory to in fact manifest, you know, weeks or months later, and then they just move the goalposts. Oh, it's misinformation, right? (laughs) So the same charge was being leveled at Republicans back in 1998, who were referring to this scandal, which was all true. It's just another, just another right-wing conspiracy theory. Minister of Fun, Kimmy of the Diamond, bunch of foreigners talking American politics. Well, Christopher Hitchens ended up becoming an American citizen. He became naturalised. Peter Hitchens, I don't think, could ever bring himself to do it because he mostly stayed in England, one, but to, like I said, he's also a monarchist and a conservative, so he's not going to, you know, trade that in. I like both. When, when I was younger, I probably liked Christopher more, and then as I got older, I appreciated... Peter Moore. But the one of the funny things about this clip that we're going to see is at times you'll find yourself agreeing with the constitutional hardline Christian conservative and at times you'll find yourself agreeing with the social democrat degenerate, right? Uh, I don't agree with either of them all the time, but you will find yourself agreeing with both of them at different times. So the dynamic is quite fun. So let's carry on. I was from Great Britain to come here. Yes. And your brother left us to go to San Francisco where he's living. Good morning, Mr. Christopher Hitchens. And what's your take on all this? Good morning, Brian. Um, It's filled me with a new respect for the American right. I'd up till now thought of them as rather an unpolished crew, the sort of people (laughs) who tour the country calling for um, sexual abstinence among teenagers, for example. But now it seems (laughs) that they can 
infiltrate a well-heeled liberal babe from Beverly Hills into the White House, get her in to see the president on the, just as he's come from church with his daughter, get her in to see Vernon Jordan just the day before she signs an affidavit, and get him to get her in to see Revlon just the day after she's signed on the dotted line. This is, this is genius and needs, I think, much more praise and attention than it's had so far. It sounds like you don't believe her. <laughs> Pardon me. Oh. If I laugh too hard, I'm, it's gonna it's gonna stimulate a cough. So apologies, because like I said, I'm still not 100. But anyway, uh, there are a few people who can turn a phrase like Christopher Hitchens. And if you've been a lis- listener to this show of any length of time, you'll know I've said it before. Anybody who has the the you know this command of the English language, this level of proficiency, I, I'm, I'm always gonna like them. Winning TV with a diamond, Cuomo, perfect example of this. Pot is now legal, right? Hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at all the things I'm doing for you. So anyway, like I said, anybody who has this level of command of the English language, I'm always going to be a fan of. I, I won't necessarily agree with anything that they say, but if they can say it well, then I'm going to listen, right? Because it's appealing to the ears. So at the time, you have to understand, what you have to understand is, Christopher Hitchens was a very well-known uh, columnist. Vanity Fair was a huge, not as big as now as it used to be. It was a huge magazine in the 90s, like a, a fairly highly regarded one as well. Uh, he was a very well-known speaker and author. He'd written books about, you know, the corruption of the Clintons. He wrote a book arguing that Henry Kissinger should be brought before the International War Crimes Tribunal and tried for crimes against humanity, <laughs> right? And as a result, Henry Kissinger was then unable to travel to various countries because there were um, subpoenas for him at, at these courts in France, Brazil, right? Not little, you know, third world African countries necessarily. France, Brazil, and countries of that caliber were like, well, we, maybe we should talk to this Kissinger fellow. So he had some clout, is what I'm saying. But he, you know, he got into a lot of trouble with because he would openly criticize liberals he would openly criticize democrats and even back then they didn't appreciate it and he was no fan of bill clinton and hillary clinton so that's worth you know keeping in mind as well because there's a lot of people who are going to say oh he's a socialist crook blah 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 i mean he was a big proponent of free speech he became an american citizen because he felt like he owed it you know um, he believe, he wrote books about the founding fathers and shit. So just, I guess something to, you know, make note of is just because you could be on the radical left then and still be staunchly pro-American. D- does anybody believe that that dynamic exists today? I don't. He was staunchly pro-American, patriotically so. He would often give lectures at the time saying that, uh, what the hell is wrong with you? You need to defend your culture. You need to defend the United States, right? Publicly, you know, vigorously. Talk about the Constitution. He would say he was a fan of the Constitution. He said the Constitution should be left exactly as it is. And again, radical left winger at the time. He, 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 He kind of mellowed later in life. He's dead now. He kind of mellowed later in life. And I think he became slowly just a little bit more libertarian, believe it or not, towards the end. I think he admitted as much. 
But yeah, that's an interesting context to keep in mind here. I've never really believed in her or her, no, but I, I, what I am amazed by, I must say, is that I know this actually from bitter experience, including from an attack on my good self, my own person, on your book notes the other day when you, um, when you were questioning the vulgar uh, Dr. Daniel Pipes, that generally speaking, if someone asserts that they are the victims of a conspiracy, or even that they know about a conspiracy, they are accused of being conspiracy theorists and by the mainstream, especially by the liberal <laughs> mainstream, automatically counted out. And, and it's, you're, you're assumed, if you assert or allege that, to discredit yourself out of your own mouth. <laughs> Has that even changed? God, take me back. Take me back to 1998. The world, the world really lost its innocence in 2001, yes, but uh, the trend towards the complete self-immolation of what we would see now as like the corporate mainstream media was well underway even back in the 90s even all the way back then the more things change the more they stay the same here is a guy writing for one of the most prestigious liberal magazines in the world at the time uh, a self-avowed democratic socialist no friend of the republican party to the left of people like bill clinton eviscerating the liberal media at the time for being, you know, pathetic and not, you know, not searching for truth and shit, even back in 1998. And you see, a lot, he was, he was written off by a lot of people, like I said, on the right, who probably didn't, I'll see you in hell, who probably didn't appreciate the nuance of his various positions. I mean, he lost a lot of support in the early 2000s when he argued in favour of removing Saddam Hussein. People called him like a Bush shill and, oh, he's, he's shilling the neocon position and stuff, which really wasn't true because he was also a very strong critic of George W. Bush. He believed George W. Bush should be impeached for incompetency. He said he was pathetic. He said the, the administration was constantly fighting with itself. You couldn't trust anything. They were terrible. But he did agree with removing Saddam Hussein because he had a lot of, you know, had a lot of contacts and... Uh, a lot of friends in like the Kurdish underground at the time, right? So it's 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 very easy to look back and people have very short memories. I've never Ring really the bell believed in and her get your or her. Cheese, no, man. I, what I'm up. amazed by, I must say, is that I know this actually from bitter experience, including from an attack on my good self, my own person, on your book notes the other day when you um, when you were questioning the vulgar uh, Dr. Daniel Pipes. That generally speaking, if someone asserts that they are the victims of a conspiracy, or even that they know about a conspiracy, <laughs> hasn't changed. They are accused of being conspiracy theorists, and by the mainstream, especially by the liberal mainstream, automatically counted out. Yep. And and it's you're, you're you're assumed if you assert or allege that to discredit yourself out of your own mouth. Usually, people who make allegations of conspiracy say the White House is behind them. The conspiracies, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I know about that the White House has asserted that it is not the source but the actual target of a conspiracy. And I think that should have got more attention than it did as well. I see Mr. Babbitt today says that any suggestion that his own policies were timed for the benefit of potential funding donors to the Democratic Party is also a conspiracy theory. Are you, this is amazing. Let me ask the two of you so that the audience understands why we invited the two of you here again because we've had you here many times. But Christopher Hitchens, you're still a man of the left, right? Sure thing. And Peter Hitchens, you're a man of the right. Very much so. 
What do you want to say about what your brother just said? Well, I think he hasn't gone far enough. I think we should we should praise these uh, training camps that uh, seem to exist in Ruby Ridge, Idaho, where uh, bimbolinas are, uh, are trained in the art of inserting themselves into the presidential life, and uh, indeed where uh, where bankers are trained in uh, arranging to have their banks collapse and uh, checks to disappear. The the length and extent of this conspiracy is uh, absolutely fantastic. The reason I think why. People like Hillary Clinton, who themselves Ring come the from a much cheese, more conspiratorial and tight left-wing background than is generally acknowledged. The reason why they, they go on in this way about conspiracy is because what they're saying is these people are not part of the conformist consensus which they're trying to create, which the, the liberal establishment in both the United States and Britain has been creating over the past 30 or 40 years. And by saying conspiracy, they're saying lunatic, they're saying mad, they're saying out of the mainstream and therefore not to be taken account of. It's an extraordinary piece of intolerance and it's one of the most noticeable things about the new left-wing establishment, that it is utterly intolerant of anybody who stands up to it or criticizes it in any way. Sound familiar? I mean, what, a, what, do, what, what could I possibly add to that? And as you can see, uh, Peter Hitchens just as talented when it comes to turning a phrase as his older brother Christopher was. <laughs> 1998. Nothing, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. They've just gotten more silly. Because look at the state. This was this was political discussion in the 90s, right? I put out a tweet earlier today, and I meant every fucking word of it. I, I said, I'm both an anti-fascist and an anti-communist. It's 100% honest. I'm not being facetious in any way, shape, or form. I'm 100% an anti-fascist and 100% an anti-communist. Uh, not that long ago, this was you know, considered an unremarkable position to be. This was this was a very unremarkable position to be in politically. But that's that doesn't exist any. That's not true now. Now it means I'm either a libtard or a Nazi, depending on who you're talking to at that time. To be an anti-communist is to be effectively a Nazi now, and to be an anti-fascist is to be a libtard. So that's right. Holy shit! Don't make me laugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're occasionally going to get an earful of cough because I can't reach the mute button in time. Oh, don't make me laugh, Phil. Phil with the uh, with the Nijigini. Thank you so much. Very generous, Phil. This is gold, better than sex, depending on what the definition of sex is. Yes, if I think it means if your genitals are touching, but if she's doing a reverse cowgirl, then it doesn't necessarily count as sex. It's more like masturbation with somebody else's body part. Very. I earned. I earned my three hundred dollars an hour today. We're talking nineteen ninety-eight prices, of course. <laughs> Like I said, I knew Phil was going to enjoy this. I know James is going to enjoy this because it gets so much better. We've got so much to get through. I'll let it rip. I think Hillary Clinton encapsulates that beautifully. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, your reaction, your brother? No, that's all nonsense. I'm sorry. Very sad to say. Oh. <laughs>
This is the way these brothers, I imagine, this is the way these brothers quote-unquote fought when they were growing up. I don't, I don't picture these two getting into, like, long, you know, physical brawls or anything like that as brothers, but I imagine this was the way that they fucking fought and the parents would have to step in, stop fighting with your brother, you know. Well, no, I'm afraid that's all nonsense. <laughs> I love it. Out of the mainstream and therefore not to be... Uh, sorry, the point I was going to make too is like, look at what they look at what they took from us. This was political. We are five minutes into this clip, right? This was the level of political discussion back in 1998. If the same, if the same kind of um, plot, right, was being discussed on, I mean, look at the last three or four years of corporate media coverage of Donald Trump, for example, and and his various sexual allegations. Look at the way that these things have been reported. Look at the way things have changed. This was political discussion back in the day. Uh, intelligent, articulate, witty, right? Engaging people who can speak without fucking... Uh, people who can speak and make sense even from opposing sides. You've got someone from the right and someone from the left and they can both talk without sounding like blithering fucking morons, right? That's, that doesn't exist anymore. The same plot being reported now would be like, oh yeah, he's a nut. This is all about white supremacy. Like, it's just the lowest, most debased... And, you know, and anybody who would suggest otherwise is summarily dismissed from the conversation. Perhaps even referred to as a conspiracy theorist. Right? Look at what they took from you. Taken account of. It's an extraordinary piece of intolerance, and it's one of the most noticeable things about the new left-wing establishment, that it is utterly intolerant of anybody who stands up to it or criticizes it in any way. And I think Hillary Clinton encapsulates that beautifully. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, your reaction to your brother? No, that's all nonsense, I'm uh, very sad to say. Um, the fact is that the Clintons uh, set out to move the Democratic Party to the right in, the, in their campaign for the nomination, and then the country to the right, and have succeeded in doing both things, and um, have made no bones like, about either. People will say that's bullshit. Uh, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I've, I've argued for a long time that um, Hillary Clinton is more of a neocon than she is like some kind of whacked-out socialist. People would try to tell me that the Hillary Clinton were... If were Hillary Clinton to win the 2016 election, people were trying to argue with me that uh, this is to further the you know the the socialist utopia. I would I would say that's nonsense. Of course not. She's she's there for the old powers. She's there for the you know the military industrial complex and the surveillance state. Um, she represents corruption at the highest levels. You know, uh, America will become whatever the highest bidder says it shall become. That's what Hillary Clinton represents. She, she's not an ideologue. She's, she's not somebody who has dreams of transforming America ideologically. No, she, her ideology is money, money and power. That's all she cares about. Bill, Bill Clinton was known at the time, known for taking positions uh, purely cynically just to improve his position in the polls. Everybody knew it at the time. He would flip-flop from one week to the next, just to whatever whatever was popular in the polls. He was the, the most poll-driven president in, you know, known history of the United States, of living history at least. Whatever position was the popular one that was going to get him out of the bad books and into the good books, that's the position he would take. Capital punishment, didn't matter. He was no sort of, you know, idealised liberal. Like, he was no sort of liberal pin-up boy. But even back time, they would ignore the indiscretions of 
their own preferred candidates in exchange for, hey, at least the other guy didn't win. And nothing has changed still to this day. Again, if you're new to, if you're a younger person, you may be like in your early mid twenties or thereabouts. You know, when you see people, I'm I'm in my late thirties now, so you know we're coming at this from different angles. But when those of us who are like kind of my age and above, when we start, you know, being cynical about you know change and how things are going to get better and stuff, it comes with good cause. It's because we've already done this. We've already been we've already been through this. <laughs> This is your first time, but for us, it's not. You know, this is like familiar territory that we're in. Right? And, and, and it, it shapes you. It shapes your future opinions. 20 years from now, you're going to be in the position that myself and others are in, looking back. And you're going to be like, oh, I was 20 years old when Donald Trump was elected and blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be some new candidate that the 20-year-olds 20 years from now will be excited about and interested in. And they think it's all going to change and justice is coming and all of that. That's all going to happen again. And you'll be telling them, no, we've already done this before. And they'll say, shut up, old man. Shut up. You don't know anything. (laughs) right? It's just the way it's going to work. Let's carry on. And that in the um, election campaign that brought Governor Clinton to office, it was only people on the left, such as Mike, Self, uh, my colleague Alexander Coburn at The Nation, uh, Ralph Nader, and other people associated. Wet sandwich, thank you, Pagey. Wet sandwich with a diamond. You're still a spring chicken to me, books. Cluck, cluck. Cock a doodle, fucking do. <laughs> so here you can see Christopher Hitchens is arguing that um, the un- he's he's not wrong. Again, he's arguing the Uniparty. This is something that the, you know, people on the left, supposedly, a few of them at least, understood even back in the 90s. You know, here he's criticising the Republican Party, not for attacking Clinton, but for not attacking Clinton. He's saying, no, 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 the only reason that Clinton is getting away with this is because the Republicans are allowing him to. They're happy for him to get away with it. Don't be fooled. You know, this, this shit about, oh, the... Um, you know, people on the left are, are protecting Bill Clinton. He's like, no, no, the Republicans are protecting Bill Clinton. They don't want him gone either. <laughs> you see what I mean? The more things change, the more they stay the same. We're still arguing about the Uniparty. We're still arguing that uh, the upper echelons, I mean, earlier to Mitch McConnell, ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. Mitch McConnell, I rest my case. What else do I need to Some say? Might say that I'm a loner, but I just call it being free. Let's carry on. Often with the campaign of Jerry Brown, who brought up either uh, the um, the Clintons' assorted business practices in Arkansas. Whitewater scandal. Sort of franchising a poor little state for the for its rich inhabitants and for themselves. I mean, just an example, a couple of the scandals that were taking place back in that time were the Whitewater scandal, which James knows a lot more about the Whitewater scandal than I do, at Real Person PLTCS. Direct your questions to him, because that's his fucking territory. But the Whitewater scandal, as I understand it, remember I was remembering I was a little bit young at the time, was uh, Bill Clinton was alleged to have pressured a banker to give money to his friend who was running a failing real estate business. That's generally what it was. There was also uh, something called the FBI files affair, the files scandal. I think it was the FBI, or maybe it was, it's okay, look, my memory fails me. It's either the State Department or the FBI, I think. 
And the allegation in that case was Hillary Clinton was was alleged to have... Tell me if this sounds fucking familiar. Hillary Clinton was alleged to have used, like I said, I think either the State Department or the FBI to uncover uh, personal private information about a number of uh, Republican employees and aides and, and whatnot to use to their advantage politically in order to, like, as- politically assassinate people, to go after people in the press. Uh, all right, does that sound familiar? Hello, unmasking, right? The unmasking affair of 2017. Sound familiar at all? The more things change, the more they stay the same. It's quite uncanny, isn't it? And we haven't even started yet. Like I said, this is this is a show for the nerds, the super political nerds, of which I know Winning TV is one and a few others of you. So, you know, be forewarned. This Because this kind of shit gets me hard. I'm not going to lie. And just the way, the flashback to 1998. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, have you not fallen in love with the aspect ratio? Look at that. The old school 4-3 aspect ratio. The old school box television. Don't you fucking love it? <laughs> Let's carry on. Or the, um, what should we say, the, the bad habit of regarding women as part of the political spoil system. Let's put it tactfully. Where Jerry Brown challenged uh, Clinton on both of these things a couple of times in public. The right at that point said practically nothing about Clinton. Um, certainly the official right said nothing about uh, dirty fundraising practices. Why would it? I mean, Clinton's Whitewater connection is a savings and loan connection. The Republicans didn't want to bring that up. Let's take uh, <laughs> comment from well, I, I would, would like to, to riposte to that, that the problem with uh, people like Christopher, whose uh, who's, who's left-wing politics are really more of a faith than a political <laughs> position, is that they can never, ever accept that any left-wing administration which is in power is left-wing. As soon as they're in power, they're immediately compromising with conservatism in some way and therefore unacceptable and can't, and can't, be, can't be praised or endorsed. So Christian people like him will always only ever uh, uh, allow the, the truly left-wing to be people who are out of power or who've been ejected from power. This is the old uh, Trotskyist view of which I used to be part, in that the Soviet Union wasn't actually a left-wing state, for instance. It was, a, it, it was some kind of deformed capitalism. It couldn't be left-wing because the left was in power, and when the left is in power, it behaves very badly. We need... <laughs> like I said, when I was younger, I was very much um, a big Christopher Hitchens fan. And actually, since I found this clip, I have spent the last kind of couple of days just going back to a little bit of Hitchens, going back to some clips, going back to some reading. I go back to Hitchens maybe, like I say, every two or three years or there about thereabouts. You know, spend a few days just going, re-reading stuff and re-watching stuff. And just like, yeah, yep. Yeah. Because he is that good. But yeah, so when I was younger, it was definitely more Christopher. But then as I got older, you know, much past 1998, much past 1998, um, I appreciated Peter's take a little more. And again, that, that that rings so true, doesn't it, what you just heard. It's never their fault. Winning TV with a diamond. Good thing this show ends in under four hours. Yeah. Hopefully, anyway. We've got a lot to get through. Need to take some calls. Christopher Hitchens, how much older are you than your brother Peter? Um, I'm never sure. Couple of- <laughs> this is good. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. This is great because they start taking calls, ladies and gentlemen, from the audience. The good old C-SPAN. Look at the numbers up there. Democrats call this number. Republicans call this number. Others call this number. Oh, God, I, I, miss, I miss this level of political discussion. I really do. 
I've, you can't see me, obviously, but I've got a smile from ear to ear just because this is just so, oh, it's just so 90s. It's just so good. It's just, and it's just not like this anymore. Like I said, you're either a, you're either a libtard or a Nazi and there's not much you can do about it. Yes, I think. And your age at this oh, point? By the way, talking of dates, may I mention something? Yeah. Um, the, the grandfather and grandmother of my daughter, my in-laws, Edward and Gertrude Blue, of this neighbourhood today become genuine 49ers. It's their 49th uh, wedding anniversary, so I hoped I could be allowed a sentimental moment for any of their friends who are watching. Well, let me check the age. Thank you. Well, how old are you yeah, now? He was brilliant. Mr. Christopher Hitchens? He was I'll be the, 49 in... He was the best at redirecting a conversation. Okay. Um, I'm 46. And Cleveland, Tennessee, thanks for waiting on the Democratic line. Go ahead, please. Tennessee. Uh, yes, mine is more of a comment. I work in a nursing oh. home, and most of the residents there are 80. Oh, does, doesn't that accent just melt your fucking heart? It does to me. It does. It always has. We're, we're always taught here in this country, at least, and I'm sure it's the same in the UK, Germany, France, Italy, whatever. Uh, we're always taught here because Hollywood teaches us, right? Hollywood teaches us that... that you know, that Tennessee, that, that dry Tennessee southern accent, that southern drawl is something to be mocked, right? It's something to be diminished. Oh, it sounds uncouth. It's uneducated, right? Blah, 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 blah. I've, I've never had that view of that accent. To me, that accent is just like, it's like warm and homely and uh, it's, it's, it's sincere and, and and you know nice you know it's nurture i love i love that accent if, if that makes any sense whatsoever well you know i've been working in a nursing home it just sounds so how could you ever be angry at somebody who speaks like that you know what i mean that's the kind of the effect that i get well hello there i just want to say i've been working in a nursing home and i've been listening to some of the residents they've been talking as like, I, I i've always just loved that accent on a female, on a on a male, it's probably not as uh, charming. Tell you what, you know, it's it's not the same if it comes from a guy. Then it does kind of sound a little bit oafish, if I'm being brutally honest. But definitely on a woman, it's like it's more. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a linguistic cuddle, you know. It's like somebody hugging you with their words. I can't ex I can't describe it. Love it. I could be allowed a sentimental moment for any of their friends who are watching. Well, let me check the age. Thank you. Well, how old are you now, Mr. Christopher Hitchens? I'll be 49 in April. Peter Hitchens? Oh, heck. Um, I'm 46. And Cleveland, Tennessee, thanks for waiting on the Democratic line. Go ahead, please. Oh, heck. I'm 46. Uh, yes, mine is more of a comment. I work in a Call nursing me. home, and most of the residents there are 80 plus years old, except for some of the newer ones coming in. They're younger because of drunk driving accidents. And. <laughs> My Details. comment is about the tobacco lawsuits and so forth. If you ask mm, these older residents at this nursing home how they feel about smoking and the uh, causes and the things that happen after smoking, they will tell you the same thing that most everyone else knows. And I'm wondering how in the world can you go back and sue these tobacco companies? I smoke <laughs> myself, and what it boils down to is responsibility for your actions. If you smoke, you have a chance of lung cancer. If you drink, you have a chance of cirrhosis of the liver. That would be like you going back and trying to have a lawsuit with McDonald's for the clogged arteries and your heart attacks. Then we want to know why they use. <laughs> this, this, oh, it's so good. So that was another story happening in the 90s, ladies and gentlemen. The the tobacco companies were being... Again, if you're younger, if you're young... And there are a few, you know, sort of younger members of the audience, I know, like sort of mid-20s, early 20s. There's a hand, there's a smattering of you. Thank you for joining us. But, you know, these were the conversations. The conversations were not, why do white people hate Asians, right? 
the, the, those were not the kinds of conversations. Why white supremacy needs to be overturned and why it's important for trans athletes to have access to the same toilets. So these, this is, this is idiocracy level political talk. Back then, you know, like average callers. Yeah, I just want to talk about these lawsuits to the tobacco companies. I think it's absurd. If you smoke, you know that there are risks involved. And, you know, it'd be like, you know, suing. A, you can't sue the company after you, you. Everybody knows what they're doing. You smoke and you may get cancer. I mean, it's understood. <laughs> it's, like, it's just so obvious and common sense. But what's good about this as well is the fact that, again, I feel like a lot of political opposition and brinkmanship now is it's there's far more theater now than there was then far more because a lot of politicians now are opposition uh, oppositional for the sake of it people are oppositional for the sake of it now whereas it wasn't that long ago where we could one person could be on the right and the other person could be on the left and we could completely 100% agree about a number of issues it's why I've always maintained on this program from episode one, and it's not me the voter versus you the voter, it's us the voters versus them, versus the politicians, versus the political class, right? That's the real dynamic. We used to understand that, but now we don't, um, you know, for better or worse. But <laughs> there's a moment here where she mentions... It's like suing McDonald's for the clogged arteries in your heart. There, there is such, there's such like casual wisdom in that, you know. There's a casual, it's because again, these kinds of observations are few and far between now. Now it would be, oh, this company needs to preserve, this company needs to empower feminism and shit. These are the more pressing issues of the day. Whereas back then, even, you know, I hope, you know, I'm not trying to sound insulting, but the average person who would just call, could call in, talk to one of either of these two brilliant speakers, these brilliant writers, and they are both brilliant in their own right. Uh, the everyday wisdom, it, it it even gets a smile, a wry smile out of Christopher Hitchens. He's like, she's got a fucking point. You know, like that wasn't beyond us as a culture, as a society, as, as you know, Westerners, so to speak. But now it's, you just don't see it anymore. You're missing out. You've been robbed. Frank, you have a chance to roast us over liver. That would be like you going back and he's, trying to have like, a lawsuit yeah. with McDonald's for the clogged arteries and your heart attacks. Then we want to know why the youth won't, won't accept the responsibilities for their actions. Thank Thanks. You. And, and Mr. Christopher Hitchens, <clears throat> woman right after your heart. Well, yes, I'm, I'm having a terrible battle at the moment trying to rid myself of the habit. but I Which habit? Uh, sorry, um, the one she's talking about. The, the, there are some others that might or might not yield to treatment as well. Smoking, you're talking about. Smoking, not yes. drinking. Um, well, you want to drink less when you when you're not smoking. It's one of the <laughs> many disadvantages about trying to give it up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, few people can make me laugh like this guy. You want to drink less when you're not smoking, which is one of the disadvantages of giving it up. <laughs> Meaning I won't be able to drink as much. <laughs> <coughs> See now, 
See, now you would be immediately hooked off air, wouldn't you? He's like, oh, he's promoting alcoholism. He's promoting alcohol abuse. And some bold-framed glasses-wearing spokesman for a domestic abuse fucking campaign or something would come out and make statements. We think it's very dangerous for people like Christopher Hitchens to be talking, you know, to be making flippant remarks about alcohol abuse. Alcohol is responsible for 94% of all domestic violence. This would be the way it goes now. Whereas back then it was just like, ha funny. And that was it. Everybody fucking moved on. God, I miss it. Beg pardon? You certainly know how to hurt a guy. <laughs> uh, Peter Hitchens first, and then Indianapolis. Well, it, the, there is a chain of circumstance here which just needs one small fact to forge it into a very sharp blade of condemnation for the president. It's, it, it's obviously not coincidental. But the trouble with it is that, as with so many of these things, the president has, uh, appears to have picked uh, a young lady who, uh, after she starts complaining or telling any kind of, uh, any kind of truths about their relationship, can immediately we've, be slandered. We've skipped ahead here. Hang on. Tobacco the, lawsuits and so the forth. Tobacco, the tobacco it, one is probably more interesting. Older residents at this nursing home, how they feel about I've already been yammering on so much, I can see looking at the clock and looking at the time and whatnot, that I'm going to have to take some shortcuts here, unfortunately. So. Smoking and the uh, causes and the things that happen after smoking, they will tell you the same thing that most everyone else knows. And I'm wondering how in the world can you go back and sue these tobacco by the youth won't receive uh, sorry, um, the one she's talking about, the, the, there are some others that might or might not yield to treatment as well. Smoking, you're talking about. Smoking. Not case. drinking. Um, well, you want to drink less when, you, when you're not smoking. It's one of the many disadvantages about trying to give it up. <laughs> um, I, I, in common, of course, with everybody else uh, who's ever taken it up, did not take it up under the assumption that it would be good for me. I don't think it's ever been taken up by anyone who thinks that, though it has been advertised as, as good for you. I remember Ronald Reagan used to advertise cigarettes that way, and it yes, was the, I think it was Chesterfield that was the one that most doctors recommended, yes, something really hilarious. But, you know, one didn't believe that any more than any other kind of advertising. We're going to take a call from Lewis Street, Wisconsin, and come back to Peter Hitchens. Go ahead, please. Hello. Uh, everything just seems to be so much of a coincidence uh, with uh, the president, with the Revlon president thing Clinton about uh, how Monica Lewinsky was going to get a job at Revlon. Um, Christopher hit it right on the nose. It just seems like he's trying to cover it up, and I think it's ridiculous. Indianapolis? I'm sorry. Uh, Peter Hitchens first, and then Indianapolis? Well, it, the, there is a chain of circumstance here which just needs one small fact to forge it into a very sharp blade of condemnation for the president. It's, really, it's obviously not coincidental. Speakers. But the trouble with it is that, as with so many of these things, the president has, uh, appears to have picked uh, a young lady who, uh, after she starts complaining or telling any kind, of, uh, any kind of truths about their relationship, can immediately be slandered and, yeah. uh, and ha have, the, have her personal reputation destroyed. This seems to be the kind of woman the president picks. And so, despite all these non-coincidental coincidences and this <laughs> damning chain of facts, I'm not at all sure that it's ever actually going to come to anything. Indianapolis. God, he was good. He never got the credit back then, Peter. Peter never got the credit. He was he was nailing this shit long ago. 100%, right? And again, what has changed? What has changed? Um, back then, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal wasn't the only, um, you know, scandal involving Bill Clinton and women. There was a woman 
Jennifer Flowers was a story. She was his mistress while he was governor. And then when he ran for president, he dumped her and said, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist, basically. So that was a story. There were other women along the way. This was a constant rolling theme with Bill Clinton. But, you know, consider again, hypocrisy, bias, obvious bias, obvious hypocrisy in the corporate press, even back then, because back then, the press and various media personalities were dedicated to slandering these. You know that believe all women shit that you were you were hearing a few years ago? It's not true. It's never been true. They've never believed that. If you're somebody who believes that the the top of the Democrat Party believes believe all women, I'm sorry, you've been had. You've been had. They 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 they're laughing at you. You're, you're an idiot. You're somebody. You're just going to follow whatever they say. You're not a critical thinker at all. You're not a revolutionary. You're not an activist. You are just um, cannon fodder for them. You're a ready-made, programmable, robotic body of individuals who will just, you know, run toward the laser pointer and chase and try to chase it up the wall. That's all you are. Because back then, during the very the numerous Bill Clinton sexual scandals, the Democrats were dedicated to slandering the women making allegations, saying it's a right-wing conspiracy theory. They were calling Monica Lewinsky a crazed stalker who was in love with him and was trying to ruin him. She was being funded by the GOP. It was all a setup and stuff, right? So if you've spent the last few years, you're a younger person, believing the believe all women stuff, I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you that you have been made a fool of because it was never true, never will be true, and they never will really mean it. Sorry. It's just the way it goes. Plus now, go ahead, please. Well, uh, hold on, hello. Christopher. Go ahead. Uh, this is uh, Ivan in Indianapolis. First time I've ever watched the show, and I simply want to say... Hey, Ivan. Um, what these two men are saying, uh, these Brits on the left and on the right, um, should... Uh, cause all of us to be Anglophiles once again. God save the Queen. They've taken a, oh, a very objective look at this. Well, you certainly <laughs> know how to hurt a guy. A big pardon? <laughs> you certainly know how to hurt a guy. <laughs> um, I wondered if I could get their take on one aspect of what Miss Lewinsky has uh, alleged. <laughs> Hitchens is not a God save the Queen kind of guy. Minister of Fun Kimmy with the diamond. Drag a dollar bill through the trailer park. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Oh, all of the big, all of the big sort of pro-Democrat media personalities at the time, they were all in. They were all in on slandering um, any woman who made any allegation against Bill Clinton at the time. They couldn't, ha- they despised them. They ruined their lives in, in most cases. In most cases. They would use the power of the state that they had at the time to intimidate, bully, and ruin people who came after Clinton. There's a reason why the Clinton political machine was feared in 2016. It didn't end up working because people were like, fuck these people, we've had enough. Fuck them, you know? But uh, there was a reason that people thought Hillary Clinton would win. It wasn't necessarily because she was the better candidate. It's because they know how to do this stuff. They have a long, successful history of ruining people, of corrupt people behavior and ruination of anybody who would stand in their way and like i said we've been we've been doing this for over 30 years now if you're new to the game i don't know what to tell you we've all known it right let's carry on allegedly done 
and uh, a point of view that uh, might uh, address her credibility or not. Would that be all right? Go ahead. Um, uh, I, I know that she's a Democrat. I would presume that she's a liberal. Uh, as such, I would presume that uh, she's sensitive to the women's movement. Yet it appears to me that the nature of the alleged acts that she was involved in with the president seem to be the type of act that would be um, more demeaning toward women uh, for all the reasons that everyone can guess. Why do they think, being uh, from the United Kingdom, that the women's movement hasn't been more critical of what has taken place here vis-a-vis -vis the president and the particular nature of uh, the relationship that they have. Mr. C. Hitchens. Uh, is that not the same question that's been asked over the last few years? I'll never grow up. I'll never grow up. Growing up is just a big fat trap. What's changed? What has changed? There are, there are so many parallels in this clip. So many to current day. What has really changed? The exact same. The exact same. Um, just, just to clear the ground a bit for what I'm going to want to say, and to disagree with Peter once more, I do think there's a chance of this achieving critical mass because um, two long-stalled and long-delayed and rather confusing inquiries—the the, the, so-called Whitewater one into Clinton's business habits and practices, and the so-called Paula Jones one into his viewing, allegedly viewing women as part of the spoil. Um, have been stalled Part in parallel for a long time. They've um, <laughs> both been kept at arm's length by different teams of lawyers and different tactics. With this case, the, the wires have crossed and touched, and there's a, quite a crackle, because with the attempt to uh, find um, a private sector job, after many public sector taxpayer ones, by the way, for Ms. Lewinsky, but a Revlon job, um, Vernon Jordan has visited the same well that he is supposed to have visited when it came time to find some comfort money for a soft landing for Webster Hubble when as oh, Clinton's a, choice for deputy. There, there are some names here, like I said, being mentioned that will fly over the head of most people. Uh, a few names, myself included. I know who Webster Hubble is. Um, Vernon Jones doesn't necessarily ring a bell. But again, this is, this is, these are the kinds of things where Phil, for example, and, and at Real Person Appeal, GCS, James R., they're the, they're the things that they can fill the blanks in on. Um, I'm already now looking at the clock. I'm pressing for time, which is unfortunate. Uh, we might, I might even have to be completely self-indulgent and turn this into Friday's show as well. Like do half now and half then because fuck it. Why not? <laughs> um, so we'll just skip ahead just a, a bit here, go to another caller. because what I found during this, this clip was callers again, s s some things just never change. Uh, callers would be calling in simping, you know, self-proclaimed Democrats were calling into this show, simping for Bill Clinton and saying shit like, well, you know, uh, this is just a smear campaign. We need to see all the evidence before we make any rash decisions. She's a, she's a slut, blah, blah, blah. And the exact same thing happens now with like the, with all of the garbage, like I said, about believe all women and stuff, the same kind of defending takes place now. You know, the preferred Democrats, whatever the charge even, it doesn't even have to be sexual in nature, but whatever the charge, the corporate media and people, you know, fall into this state of uh, constant rationalization, you know, where they never actually hold their own side accountable for anything. It's okay for us, but not for them. 
And these are two, you know, again, like I said, Christopher Hitchens at the time writing for one of the biggest liberal magazines in the world, really, Vanity Fair, uh, was one of the few people who would hold Democrat politicians to account. And he was hated for it on his own side. So interesting times. Well, wow. I, I don't think you could have got that kind of impartiality and restraint if Clarence Thomas were involved. Mount Vernon, oh, Illinois. Oh, hang on, hang on. Hang on. So Hitchens. this is another good moment here. Let me get your brother in here, Peter Hitchens. Well, I, I was going to make this point about abortion, which seems to me almost always to be the central issue in American politics now. Issue. It's one of, the, one of the reasons why Clinton has done most of the things that he's done is because of the, the loss of uh, working-class religious support for the, for the Democratic Party because of its support for abortion and his attempts to get that support back with the Irish-American vote, the Polish-American vote, these things are at the heart of much that he does. And I think that the National Organization of Women, which yesterday apparently decided that to ask the president to sign a pledge uh, to... Um, uh, let's say, to reject sexually intimate relations with employees and volunteers. <laughs> they then apparently considered having the group's interns march to the White House brandishing copies of the pledge. This was rejected because it would suggest that the National Organization of Women were taking a side attacking Clinton as opposed to making a general statement. Well, wow, I, I don't think you could have got that <laughs> kind of impartiality and restraint if Clarence Thomas were involved. <laughs> You can see even back then, although Christopher Hitchens was like the much more popular one and the more famous one of the two, Christopher was the idealist, right? And um, Peter was the cynic. That's a very cynical take, which again ends up being correct. I've had people accuse me in the past of being too cynical. And I, I would say to them, you know, for years I've been saying this. Um, that's funny you say that because the cynical view most often ends up being the correct view. I don't know if you were... I don't know what, like, sort of rainbow glasses you, you put on when you look at politics and power and the, the nature of it, you know? But the cynical view generally ends up being the correct one. And it has been for a long time. You know, you're being conned in every way possible. Mount Vernon, Illinois, you're next for the Hitchens. <laughs> Patience right in a chat with a very sarcastic, dripping with sarcasm. No, not you. <laughs> Yes, Brian, I appreciate your show, and uh, I think you're the greatest. Welcome. Uh, I'm asking to either either guest, uh, what do they think of the, uh, the Kenneth Starr investigation? Do they think he's overstepped his boundaries? And what do the, uh, the the common folk in, in London think about all of this? Christopher Hitchens? Well, as I just said, I mean, he's he's he'd be wrong if he didn't investigate this, because it seems to have a crossover or allegorical connection, if you like, at the least, with his Whitewater inquiry. I mean, for, for example, I'll say this because I think a lot of people are getting it wrong. If Mr. Starr was going to talk to um, Miss uh, Sheila, I'm just forgetting her name. The, Sheila Lawrence? Yeah, Sheila Lawrence, the widow of the, the late uh, Denizen of Arlington Cemetery, for example, of whom it has been alleged that she's enjoyed sexual relations with the president and so on. If Mr. Starr went and started asking about that, he'd be way, way out of his, um, of the boundary or the remit, the mandate, the warrant of his inquiry. He isn't empowered to ask who the president's been sleeping with. He is asked, empowered rather, to ask whether or not there is corruption, to give it an old-fashioned term, whether this is, whether this is covered up by forms of jobbery that have been used to delay jobbery. Uh, justice in other <laughs> inquiries. Right so. Word. The only, since the only reply to this point that I've heard is, um, well, Ken Starr is right-wing, so you can forget everything he says. <laughs> uh, which I think is...
Again. Again. Which is the exact same attitude that you get greeted with now. If you're not completely on board, remember Peter in the earlier part of the show talking about the new left, like the new intolerant establishment left, which will just disregard anybody who seeks to bring any point that in any way contradicts their preferred narrative, right? Will instantly be labeled as a conspiracy theorist or a far right winger, somebody to be dismissed. I mean, how many people do you know who are not far right, who get called far right because of this dynamic today? <laughs> Millions of people get called far right because of this dynamic existing today. And it existed in the 90s as well. Ain't that the darndest thing? And now you have Christopher Hitchens, who, again, himself, a self-proclaimed democratic socialist who is about to defend the attorney who is prosecuting Bill Clinton, who has been accused of being a right-winger. Isn't it great? the mandate, the warrant of his inquiry. He isn't empowered to ask who the president's been sleeping with. He is asked, empowered rather, to ask whether or not there is corruption, to give it an old-fashioned term, whether this, is, whether this is covered up by forms of jobbery that have been used to delay uh, justice in other inquiries. So the only, since the only reply to this point that I've heard is, um, well, Ken Starr is right-wing, so you can forget everything he says, I, which I think is an intensely bad faith reply. I, I, I must cling to the view there must be something to my point if the only repository is so weak. By the way, he may be very right-wing for all I know. He said he doesn't seem very left-wing, but he can't be as right-wing or as creepy as Dick Morris, who was the president's best friend for a long time until his own sordid private life allowed us a window into an enormous tranche of a dirty public life and the corruption, oh. really organised corruption, of a whole cycle of democratic electoral politics. Christopher... That's that's what we used to refer to as polemicism, okay? Polemicism. The the ability to be so savage and so cut so deep with your words in such a short space of time. The ability to use your words as weapons, right? That's polemicism. More or less. And Christopher Hitchens, one of the great exponents of the English language, one of the best, one of the best. And his, his brother, Peter, not far behind him either. Um, that's <laughs> generations of corruption in democratic politics. Again, I would, I can't think of the last time a self-avowed social democrat or a, social, a democratic socialist, pardon me, I can't think of the last time one of those made such an accusation against their own team. My personal experience is people on the left are willing to never, never admit, never, never, you know, sort of punch left, so to speak. That's my personal experience. Uh, at Real Person PLTCS with the diamond, by the way, yes, that Dick Morris. Dick Morris. See, this is so good. I'm loving this. Let's see what Peter has to say. Hitchens, why did you move to San Francisco? I'm teaching at Berkeley this uh, teaching semester. At I'm teaching um, from, uh, at the Graduate School of Journalism out here. Peter Hitchens, what's it look like over in Great Britain, this whole story? And when did you come here 
I came out on Tuesday, and I think what, it's, what it looks like is something very familiar to us in one way and very unfamiliar in another. It's familiar in that we've had an awful lot of ministers falling over the past five years because of their sexual lives becoming public. Your cabinet officers. Yes, uh, but it's also unfamiliar because I think most British people don't really understand the office of president. They confuse it with the prime minister and a politician and they yes, don't they do. realize that Americans can simultaneously despise Bill Clinton but hold a strong respect for the office of president which makes them hold back from the sort of calls for instant resignation and dismissal which would certainly fall on the head of a, of a, of a British cabinet minister who behaved like this. We that doesn't, that's not true anymore. And for better or worse, that's, that's simply not true anymore. All right? That's one thing that changed from the 90s. So many things stay the same, right? The accusations of conspiracy theorist, the dismissal, uh, anybody who stands up to the, you know, the new left establishment elites is instantly, oh, that's a far right-wing conspiracy theorist. Fuck him, we don't care about him. It's a conspiracy. Right, those things remain. They're the same. The hypocrisy remains. It's the same. The uh, corporate media bias remains. It's the same. The modus operandi is the same. But one of the things which is not the same is that that dynamic used to exist. And again, that's what they took from you. This is what's changed. Uh, and for better or worse left or right in my opinion it's a shame it's a terrible shame that that respect for the office like where where in the late 90s it was possible to despise the president yet respect the office to a point where you'd still be you know the patriotic flag waving fuck you they said something about our president let's go blow it on motherfuckers up that that shit doesn't exist anymore and the last four years, you know, the Democrats do a lot of chest beating and a lot of pronouncements, make a lot of pronouncements that Donald Trump has destroyed the institutions and he's changed the culture and stuff. Uh, you spending four years not respecting that time-honored tradition of respecting the office, you know, you can detest the president but respect the office. You have spent the last four years completely destroying that institution. And now to rub insult, to rub salt into the wound, to add insult to injury, they're now going to spend the next four years telling you that you're not allowed to do that. They're allowed to do that, but you are not. That's that's the great irony of it all. We have a, a parallel sex scandal running uh, with our Foreign Secretary, our Secretary of State, uh, Robin Cook at the moment, who uh, who is in fairly deep trouble, but holding on for the moment. And uh, people are, are trying to make parallels between the two, but I think you have an elected king here, and uh, what, that's what something, we need to understand. That's more. something that James has said very often, if he's still in the chat listening. That's, that's something I remember James saying at least two dozen times. The president is an elected king. You know, the president can do X, Y, Z. And anybody in the media who tells you he can't, the Democrats who tells you he can't, or the people who say that he can't, they, they're either stupid or they're lying. It's one or the other. <laughs> in England is that the respect which Americans have for the, for the office and, and that I think is another of the things which may well save Mr Clinton from a fate which he would undoubtedly have suffered in England. Boston? Go ahead. Yes, Boston. good morning Brian. Let's Hi. talk to Boston. Uh, good morning brothers Hitchens. Morning. Morning. Uh, yes, actually uh, Mr Hitchens you just brought up the, uh, the question that I had which was a little bit different from those others that have come in this morning and that was that uh, Britain has had a history of salacious uh, sex scandals 
going back to perfume. And I was wondering from both of you how you would compare the reaction in this country to the reactions to the various sex scandals that have occurred there. I'm just going to take a quick... I'm going to let this play. I won't play the commercial break. I'll just let this play. I'm going to take a quick bathroom break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. ...session which is fostered by uh, by Hollywood and by television uh, has entered both our, our, our societies, and uh, it's it not just affecting our, our judgment of the way in which politicians behave, but I think actually also affecting the behaviour of, of politicians. What's extraordinary about this country, we, we, we tend to think that we sent you guys over here to set up a Puritan nation, is that in such a short period of time, it's now possible to discuss oral sex on primetime television. Peter Hitchens is a columnist for the uh, Daily Express of London. Christopher Hitchens, your reaction? Well, in the Profumo case, if, if, the, if there had just been a minister who was having an affair with a woman, not his wife, I don't think anyone thinks there would have been a scandal that we'd all still remember by name. The fact of the matter, and I think it also it supports my general rule that most sex scandals are only partly and seldom more than um, slightly sexual. What Profumo did was lie to the House of Commons, having lied to his cabinet colleagues, about his relationship with a woman who was simultaneously having an affair with a Soviet intelligence official in, um, based in the Soviet embassy in London, a certain Colonel or Captain Ivanov, while he, Profumo, was defense minister. Now, that's a scandal by any definition. Um, most other sex scandals I can think of have had a political dimension to them. Certainly, for example, nobody would have been interested in the possibility that Clarence Thomas was talking dirty if he'd had a, a, a different attitude to, to um, well, to abortion, to a whole number of uh, judicial questions. Um, but I, I, differ, I differ with Peter in thinking that it's, it's not only um, impossible to expect that pe people will cease to find sex fascinating, or, as, as you rather oddly put it, a central part of life. Who can quarrel with that? I not only think that's inevitable, I think it's desirable. I actually think also the coverage of the sex lives of, of the great um, is, a, is a perfectly legitimate source of inquiry. The point about central part of life is, is, is that sex has become important for itself. This is the first society in which sterility, sterile sex, has, has, be has, has become the, the pagan religion. Paganism at least always had, in, had one thing in its favor, that it was in favor of fertility, but now it's actually, it dances around the abortion clinic rather than around the phallic symbol. Los Angeles, welcome. You have to, to remember it's three hours earlier for me than for you. Lo Los Angeles, okay. welcome to the uh, Morning Journal. Go ahead, please. Eight, really. Los Angeles, you're on the air. Thanks for waiting. Good morning. Hi. Hi, I have three uh, brief, very closely related observations from a libertarian perspective. Number one, uh, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Number two, unlike today's generation of uh, politicians, America's founders had integrity, meaning uh, they meant what they said and they said what they meant, and they meant no law abridging the freedom of speech. Finally, number three... All right, I'm back, just in time. Uh, the, uh, uh, unfortunately, the vast uh, majority of uh, Democratic and Republican politicians uh, have very little regard for the First Amendment, as evidenced by the uh, so-called Communication this Decency is, this Act is on of 1995, point. where overwhelming majorities of them uh, voted for this patently unconstitutional piece of crap. Uh, so I, I would say that the very first official act of uh, the Republican politicians, the oath of office where they swear to defend the Constitution, is a lie uh, based on results. Maybe a comment, please? Christopher Hitchens. It is amusing that this, this president in particular should be a V-chip president, talking solemnly about 
the need to have an already fairly infantile um, mass media made more childish still, in fact, childish standards of protection being applied to it, and that he should tour the country with his wife, calling for abstinence as the main method of contraception. Not quite sure how that goes to Peter's point about paganism and sterility, from which I'm still slightly reeling. But... Oh, I missed, I missed it. <laughs> that whole part about phallic symbols and stuff, when I watched it the other day, I was on the floor. I was in tears laughing. <laughs> from not to, not to stray too much from Peter's point about uh, phallic symbolism, from which I'm still reeling. <laughs> what a... The king, the king of snarkiness. Both of them are, really. They're, they're both kings of being so fucking snarky. And that polite way of being an arsehole, it's just very, it's a very British quality. I love it. Which is actually <laughs> potentially a very good point, I think. Um, that it's the same president who cut um, million and a half or so poor women off the welfare rolls because on examination their lives didn't bear much moral scrutiny. They weren't being <laughs> continent enough. Um, yes, this is, there, there is this paradox. Uh, between extreme puritanism and censoriousness, which of course yep. means that the First Amendment is not viewed with the reverence that it deserves. Oh, culture. Well, and, and like this is worth mentioning too. Um, I, you know, I put a tweet out earlier today, and I stand by every word of it again, where I said something to the effect of young woke people, younger woke people, uh, they proudly boast that George Orwell, for example, was an anti fascist. Now, that's true. He was an anti-fascist, but it's not only true, right? It's it's not telling the whole story. George Orwell was anti-totalitarianism. George Orwell was anti, uh, you know, complete control by the state of the lives of individuals. So if you're a younger person and you boast about George Orwell being an, an anti-fascist, yet you hold to the opinion that certain books need to be banned, speech needs to be banned, speakers need to be removed from the public square, then you're a dumb arsehole because he was against you as well. He was against you too. And it couldn't be any clearer. You know, he had repudiations of British imperialism based on his experience in places like Burma. Right. Minister of Fun Kimmy with a diamond. Yes, exactly. More than one thing can be true. Exactly. But that, that's not the that's that's not the the you know the intellectual environment that we live in now, is it? Like I said before, if you say that you're an, if you're against fascism, then some people will call you a libtard for that. And if you say that you're an you're against communism, people will call you a Nazi for that. Right? It's bla it's very black and white nowadays. It's very it's on or off, and there is no in between. Again, and, and look at look at how much it's changed just in the last 20 years. It's like the same methods were being used, the same conversations were being had, but the outcome is very different now. Very different. The, the intensity is different, perhaps, if I'm being honest. Wisconsin, go ahead, please. Let's hear from Hello, Wisconsin. Brian. Hi. Uh, I'm not too good at this. So I'm not too good at this. I'm just having a, a sorter on the coach. Uh, bear with me. Uh, I think this kind of debunks the liberal media myth. The myth. Uh, I haven't heard... Uh, the myth of the liberal media. So when I heard this guy, I'm like, oh, yes, please, sir, carry on. Much from their point of view on all this, with uh, Mr. Clinton, the President Clinton, and uh, 
I just look at it as uh, who have they put down since they've been in office. And one would be the uh, insurance industry, tobacco industry, and also the Pentagon. Thanks. Does this debunk the uh, liberal media myth, Peter Hitchens? Well, which liberal media myth? Um, I think that one of the things which is quite astonishing in all this is that the, the liberal media, as I would uh, classify them, who for most of the time that I was here between 93 and 95, held back from making any serious criticism of the president. Or oh, this is one of those, this is one of those moments where, again, if you're, uh, you know, a bit on the younger side, um, you know, have a little, have a little respect for your elders is what I'm saying. Because we've already done, right? We've already been here. We've already done this. This shit is cyclical. You will feel the way we feel today in 20 years from now. If you're like an 18 year old, 19 year old, whatever. 20 years ago, I was 18. 20 years ago, I was an 18 year old who believed he was a communist. Believe it or not. I was raised in a very like conservative household. Uh, I spent my sort of late teenage to early, um, very early. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a long affair with the far left, but it was long enough to learn a bit about them and the way these assholes think. It was enough to do that. It was enough, it was enough to work out how they think and decide, actually, I don't want to be a fucking part of this, you right? So this is not my style at all. I'm out of here. It was just long enough for that to occur. So that was me at like 18, 19, 20, 21. And this is the, you know, these are the kinds of conversations that were going on at the time. No books, Foggy in a chat. Oh, you've got to remember, Foggy. I was 18, I was 17 at the end of the year 2000. Right? So, you know, uh, war in Iraq and stuff. I was a young voting working man at that point. I was 19, 20 years old with all of like working, you know, war in Iraq and topple Saddam Hussein, the Patriot Act war on terror. As, as somebody who's always had like a deep, of, you know, I, I've never hated the United States. That's one thing, even though I would have been back then flirting with the idea of far left politics, I never hated the United States. One of the reasons why I couldn't continue being a far leftist is because I didn't hate the United States. I always had a deep, I was always like, you know, reading books about the founding fathers Right, the Pilgrims, the fucking Constitution, the Civil War I was a huge Civil War reader when I was like a, because I was a boring teenager, I was a nerdy teenager, you know, I, other kid, you know, other kids would be doing other things. I would stay in my room and like watch documentaries and read books and shit. So, you know, I never hated the United States. I, everybody that I was friends with hated the United States. I, I went to an anti-George Bush rally once, but. Um, I hated George Bush, but I didn't hate the United States, right? So it, it always went one step too far for me because I'd be having conversations. I'd say, yeah, that George Bush is a piece of shit. The Patriot Act is all about destroying freedom. It's destroying um, privacy. Um, you know, they shouldn't be sacrificing because you have to understand, like, every time since World War One, every time America goes to war, we go to war too. We, we, it's part of our agreement with you. You know, you offer us like a kind of international safety blanket. And in return, every time you go to war, we go too. It's just part of the deal. Uh, the second Gulf War in the early 2000s, uh, Australian special forces were in Iraq before the Americans were. 
When, when America decided it was going to war, the Australian Special Forces had already been sent in and secured various locations uh, hours before George W. Bush even announced it on television, right? So it, it's always been like, you know, we're always, we, we do what you do. We don't really have a choice in it, and which, which is fair enough. There's pros and cons. Again, I'm not a radical who says, oh, we need to do away with this pact because it's like, well, there are other benefits to being a friend of the United States. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Like, you know, we've got uh, Indonesia, the world's most populated uh, Islamic country, just directly to our north, which has become increasingly radical over the past three or four decades. And just above that, we have the world's most populated country, which is China, which happens also to be a communist dictatorship. So, you know, we, we kind of like need a big friend in the schoolyard. <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid to say so. And I think people who say uh, that we should be ashamed of this alliance, I've, I've always thought they're silly people, they're stupid. Um, they're not being realistic. They live, they're living in idealist sort of wonderland, fairyland with unicorns and rainbows and lollipops. It's not real. It's, it's just, you know, we, we need the United States more than they need us. It's just plainly obvious. So, yeah, Bocker Bradley, is Fiji going to invade Australia? Uh, at one point, one of the Fiji, and I think it was like the Fijian treasurer or something, was an Australian citizen. If, if anything, it's us that sets up our little... We set up our little imperial, little sort of LARPing imperial little wannabe nations around us, you know? We act like America in a smaller pond, if that makes sense. <laughs> so anyway, I've lost my point. I forget what I was talking about, but let's carry on. Uh, I haven't heard uh, much from their point of view on all this with uh, Mr. Clinton, the President Clinton, and uh, I just look at it as... Uh, who have they put down since they've been in office? And one would be the uh, insurance industry. Which is quite astonishing in all this is that the, the liberal media, as I would uh, classify them, who for most of the time that I was here between 93 and 95, held back from making any serious criticism of the president or investigating what he was up to finally have in a damn burst I mean, I mean you know people are sharing around a story today on social media about the the white house dog taking a poop on the carpet and i had a friend you know um i i i asked i haven't i haven't read a response yet but i asked a friend who sent me this and said well things must be going well and if you're listening you know who you are no names but uh, a friend of mine who's more to the progressive side said, well, things must be going really well because they've got nothing else to write about. In regards to the, the story of the White House dog taking a shit on the rug or whatever, you know, to which I replied, that's an ambitious way to look at it. <laughs> it's one way of looking at it. My thoughts being that um, perhaps the more realistic, the more cynical way to look at it would be uh, they're doing everything they can to report anything that doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. Why else would you write a story about the dog taking a shit? Like, I, I, it's literally a dog taking a shit. That's the news. That's, <laughs> in my opinion, the only reason that you would write a story of that nature is to avoid writing about stuff that matters. <laughs> right? But to, you know, to my progressive friend, this proves, and again, I'm hoping that they're being sarcastic, but I can never really tell these days. I'm, you know, apparently, to my friend, this proves that everything's going really well. <laughs> it's like, well, it's one way of looking at it, I guess. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Let's carry on. There is a story here, and have 
have joined the right-wing conspiracy in the most extraordinarily enthusiastic fashion, if that's the, right the thing you're talking about. Yes, I, I, otherwise I don't know. Could I just go back to the, the point that the other caller made about the First Amendment? The whole point about the First Amendment is I, who can believe that the Founding Fathers, uh, if I understand your question correctly, were setting up that amendment to, to, uh, to, to liberate uh, pornography across the United States, which they were setting up. What the Founding Fathers believed was that... Now, uh, see, a, um, a see, now, this is one of those moments where... Um, you know, Peter Hitchin, this is one of those moments where I tend to, you know, I, I tend to split from the opinion because I'm not a conservative. I have per perhaps many like cultural conservative views of what's preferable and stuff. But the way I always understood conservatism was to, you know, uh, sort of lightly, you know, I, I would say influence, but lightly enforce certain cultural standards and norms, which I've always thought, again, you know, I can argue that it's probably better than what we have, but that doesn't mean that I think it's necessarily good, if that makes sense. Um, because I'm, I'm not, if I'm just the kind of person, if you tell me that I absolutely must behave in a certain way, then within me, I absolutely must not do that. You know, it's just part of who I am. So I can't, you know, if everybody says, well, you need to, for example, like say, for example, uh, back in the times when skirts had to go past the knee, the stuff like I would have been one of those people who say, <laughs> fuck these people just wear what you want you know I, I couldn't help it oh everybody says you have to wear your skirt past the knee i would i would be one of the people who would say fuck it don't listen to these people you got nice knees show them off you know um i know that's a, perhaps a trivial point but i think it illustrates what i mean better than getting into the weeds and the nitty-gritty of some other discussion so you know what i'm saying I'm, so i'm not a conservative person so this is one of those moments where, uh, you know, for example, we had uh, Rich on, Rich um, from the Enigma Report, right? Now, Rich is a very storm. This isn't a criticism. Uh, we only had that one interaction. He was very pleasant. Uh, you know, he showed up on time. Everything was great. It was good. Uh, so we only had that one interaction when he got kicked off YouTube. Now, Rich is a very committed um, sort of, you know, traditional Catholic type. And I remember on the show I asked him. So I think we both believe in free speech, yeah. And he's he's to his to his absolute credit, he's very honest. He said, um, "Well, to a point, which you know, that's that's that to me is the conservative view. Yeah, we believe in free speech for this, this, and this. But uh, you know, take the the recent you know argument about somebody promoting Satanism, for example. Now it's a very conservative view that you know certain opinions would be." You know, attempted to be squashed in the public domain because we want, we prefer to send a, a culture in this way rather than that way. So, you know, in that respect, conserv conservatism now is seen in, you know, in 2021, conservatism is seen as the free speech option purely because at the moment it's more free speech than the left is, if that makes sense. But conservatives have never traditionally been a free speech um, you know, grouping of people. They haven't. There, there are certain things that we can agree on, but that doesn't mean that we are one of them, right? I mean, shit, I agree with uh, Christopher Hitchens on a number of issues, but that doesn't make me a fucking uh, democratic socialist by any stretch of the imagination. And you should wash your tongue out, you should wash your mouth out with soap if you were ever to make such an association. That would be a, that would be a heinous misuse of political allocational resources, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever do that. Carry on. 
uh, if I understand your question correctly, were setting up that amendment to, to, uh, to, to liberate uh, pornography across the United States, which they were setting up. What the Founding Fathers believed was that uh, a, a free country uh, would be inhabited by moral men who would, not, who would not seek to distribute such things. If immoral men seek to exploit freedom, it, becomes licensed and as everybody knows once it becomes licensed there are then calls for dictatorship and the end of freedom abuse freedom long enough and you cease to have it it's a simple point it, it can't be made often enough and it should certainly be made to pornographers in this he's not he's not wrong right that's the beautiful part about these discussions when you actually get people who can articulate their points and again this is the tv this is the political discussion on tv that um was around like i said when i was like 16 17 18 and I feel sorry for the 16 and 17 and 18 year olds now because the political discussion that they are treated to tends more about the lines of who hates gay people and why, uh, why this innocuous comment equals racism and why microaggressions about um, trans, you know, liberation needs to be closely monitored on social media. That's, that's what you get now. It's really, you know, it's a different fucking universe if you think about it. It's a different world. This this was more to the effect of what we had when I was 16, 17, 18. And again, like, you know, I, James is about uh, 12 years my senior. He's a, he's a little bit like a bigger brother to me. Um, you know, we've, known, we've become very close friends over the last few years. So, you know, it would look even different to him because when he was 12, I was just popping out and, hey, how you going? I just got here. So it would look even different to him. Or someone like Phil, who I think is a few years older than me. They were in their teenage years, 10 years before this happened. You know, the late 80s. And the mid 80s had its own political twos and fro's. But so much of it is, is relevant today still, isn't it? And, you know, like I said, Peter Hitchens, very conserv that's a very conservative way to look at things. And I, I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but it's something that I couldn't go along with, if that makes sense. This, um, in this month's, I guess, let me just check it out here, February edition, actually, of uh, Vanity Fair, Christopher Hitchens, you're the subject of a page on the letters page, Angels and Insects, oh, and there's a cartoon there. This is, this is good. Um, like I said before, one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Christopher Hitchens, still am, even though he's, he was at this point a fucking socialist, um, his, his ability, his, 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 talent with the English language is second to none in my opinion such a great orator like I said a polemicist in the true sense of the word so this is funny because the host of the show reads a Hitchens quote back to him and it's even funnier when you hear somebody else read the words of Hitchens like the way he describes things very very visualized language very visualized use of it uh, <laughs> so this just fucking made me laugh with you and Diana, Princess Diana pulling you one way and Mother Teresa the other. And then one of the letters from Christopher Vaughn of Indianapolis, Indiana says, I guess it's safe to say that in Mr. Hitchens' world, no good deed goes uncriticized. I wasn't sure if his remark about, quote, a simpering Bambi narcissist and a thieving fanatical Albanian dwarf, unquote, was an attempt at highbrow social... The, the, the thieving Albanian dwarf that Hitchens is referring to, that this, this person writing this letter took issue with. The thieving Albanian dwarf he's referring to is motherfucking Teresa. 
<laughs> and you can see, you can see because Hitchens is so fucking arrogant <laughs> in a good way. He was not arrogant. He's so confident, you know. He's he's not. He doesn't take a backward step to anybody. He actually he smiles and he's like, "Oh yeah, I did write that." <laughs> he, he enjoys the moment, not the fact that he wrote it, but that somebody's getting really upset by it. Right? That's what motivated him. He's like, "Well, that it's certainly rubbed that gentleman up the wrong way, didn't it? <laughs> it must be, it must be worthwhile then." That was kind of the way he approached things. Uncriticized. I wasn't sure if his remark about, quote, a simpering Bambi narcissist <laughs> and a thieving fanatical Albanian dwarf. <laughs> thieving fanatical Albanian dwarf. <laughs> quote, was an attempt at highbrow sarcasm or just plain acerbic chatter from a self-important media. It. He's enjoying the criticism. He likes the criticism. He's listening to this angry letter about his article and he's smiling going, yes. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I like it. Bottom feeder. When they're, that they're talking about you, sir, what do you think of that? Bottom feeder. Um, I think it was a bit of both. Uh, the, it was an attempt also to try and encapsulate uh, the, I think you and I did a show on it at one point uh, with a gentleman from the Washington Times. Minister Fun Kimmy, that'll loosen the phlegm up for you. Yeah, it did certainly did uh we're getting close to the end of the show here like i said i'm we're about halfway through this clip so um again if this isn't for you i completely understand this kind of a show isn't going to be for everyone what we did here today but i'm gonna i'm gonna finish the clip on friday i've just decided we'll do the second half of the clip because there's so much that we haven't even got to that i want to show you and just kind of relive so we can take a couple of days to kind of decompress to process tonight's show and then i'll be back on friday and we'll do it all over again and you know we'll, i'll go as long as i have to on friday to get the clip done how about that uh because we're back baby so a couple more minutes here let's just see how this one plays out but just for be forewarned if you're not uh you know a nerd to the level that i am and you know perhaps james is and uh phil and uh you know minister minister of fun kimmy foggy you know these uh, if you're not a nerd to the level we are, Nikki Fruit Loops, I know, pass the potato. If you're not, <laughs> then perhaps it's not going to be for you. But that's what we're going to do. So we'll carry on. Times, trying to get people to remember what they've been trying to forget, which is what it was like, <coughs> excuse me, Brian, um, living through a week of such absolute cretinism in the mass media, where in what listen I thought this, was... Listen to this. Social... Dem Ladies and gentlemen, social democratic... Is it social democratic or democratic socialist? I don't fucking know what you people want. Uh, Dem, let's call it the same thing, isn't it? Uh, let's call <laughs> the People's Republic, <laughs> the Republic of the People, whatever. Uh, so socialist Democrats, a, a social Democrat, a democratic socialist, uh, who's writing for one of the, like I said, the one of the most highly regarded liberal publications of the time, worldwide, a worldwide brand, one of the most recognisable columnists in the world, highly sought after to not only do speaking engagements but write books and such, uh, is on, you know, mainstream media uh, talking about what cretinous, corrupt villains uh, members of the Democrat Party are. That just that won't happen today. It doesn't happen anymore. Never. And for people who think that 
the modern media is just as good as it's ever been and it's uh, you know they do a fine job or whatever I feel I genuinely feel sorry for you because you missed out you really did you you missed um, the years when that simply wasn't the case where somebody like me who is clearly not a socialist uh, could you know listen and agree and chuckle along with somebody who clearly was and we could come to the same conclusions on various things and you know this could all be done you know, within, what, 25 minutes of a, of a clip or what have you. Uh, you know, at least have that intellectual honesty to attack people for the reasons that you have rather than the team that they, they're on. That that dynamic doesn't exist anymore. And if you're somebody who thinks, oh, you know, the media is just doing a great job, they care about the truth and stuff, I, I'm not even angry at you. Um, I don't want to save you. I don't, I don't want to change your mind or anything because the reality is you have to be... You know, you have to be the driver of that change. Nobody else can tell you. Because if you try to tell somebody, the walls go up and uh, they just become defensive. So uh, you have to kind of find a way to flick one domino over and then let the rest take care of itself, which is difficult. Especially now, because if you're not, uh, if you're an anti-fascist like myself, you're accused of being a libtard. And if you're an anti-communist also like myself, you're accused of being a Nazi. So it's, it's difficult to find uh, that middle ground where, you know, you can chip away at the walls that people put up around their opinions and their political beliefs and, and find just find a little bit of light peeking through the cracks. It's increasingly difficult. You're, you, you know, effectively, people are being trained to prevent that from happening. People are being trained to have certain reactions to certain words and certain news and certain topics and certain individuals and stuff. And if anything, it's getting far worse rather than getting any better. But here you have, you know, like I said, uh, democratic socialist uh, criticizing the Democrat Party at the time for being corrupt assholes, basically. And this, you know, this is what you're robbed of now. You're not allowed to see this anymore. And I, I genuinely feel sorry for you if that's the case. The, I think you and I did a show on it at one point uh, with a gentleman from the Washington Times trying to get people to remember what they've been trying to forget, which is what it was like, <coughs> excuse me, Brian, um, living through a week of such absolute cretinism in the mass media, where in what I thought was a very sinister way, not only were people told incessantly that others were grieving about the death of um, a rather mediocre princess, but they were, they were to, well, that would have been bad enough to have that wall to wall from dawn till dusk, but they were told that they were themselves grieving, that we were all in the grieving process, which is no part of the mass media's job to do, even if it was true, <laughs> which it was not. Lexi, Mississippi, for the Hitchens brothers. Go ahead, please. One more from Mississippi. Good morning, Brian. Morning. Oh, good morning, boss. Show. Absolutely love your show. I love your show. <laughs> like I said, it's like, a, it's like a linguistic cuddle, isn't it? Hollywood and popular culture has told us that we need to... Uh, consider people who speak this way as like inbred, inarticulate, uncouth, morons, uneducated, um, white trash, dumb, stupid. It's just, I've never felt that way when I hear that voice. To me, that's always like, oh, you're just a big old sweetie pie. You know, like you, you need, that is this, that that is the English language giving you, that's the English language giving you a nice big old cuddle. You know, like it's, it's I don't know. Welcome. Um, what I was calling about, and and I don't think people are saying it enough, um, is that it, it's not the act 
so much. Um, it's just the lying, <clears throat> you know, that that just continues. One lie leads to another. On oh, Bill so, Clinton could um, lie with the best of them. When they had the 60 Minutes show, the Stand By Your Man show, show, show. on um, <laughs> 60 Minutes, if they had taken that one step farther and um, it, it, and and told the American people what type of relationship they have. They have a platonic relationship. They have a political relationship. She's, she's talking about the Clintons, by the way. Yep. Um, then just think we wouldn't be having all of this now. And there's so many people um, in our own families that we know that um, that couples have stayed together for one reason or another. Maybe it's for the children. Maybe it's financially. And um, and then, it, you know, if he must uh, resort to this activity, um, then do it discreetly. <laughs> Who remembers back in 2016, 2015 even? Put your hand up. I'm putting my hand up in the air. You can't see it, but I'm putting my hand up. Who remembers in 2015 having conversations with Democrats at the time? And where they would try to talk about uh, Donald Trump's propensity towards playboy behavior, right? Rich playboy stuff, you know, whining and dining numerous women, sleeping with models and, and you know, sports illustrated centerfolds and this kind of, this kind of behavior, right? Uh, you know, swing, you know, eligible rich bachelor kind of behavior. And they would criticize him for it. And I would say, yeah, but, you know, I'm not an idiot. Let's talk, you know, you want to talk about this kind of behavior. Let's talk about arguably one of the greatest Democrats of all time, at least the way popular culture likes to remember him, that being uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, he slept with the sex symbol of the era, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Like, not <laughs> today there's always a conversation, oh, who's the sexiest woman on earth? You know, you have to understand in the time of Marilyn Monroe, Someone in my family is a big Marilyn Monroe buff. Got all the books, studied them, right? Used to tell me about, like, what it was like and all that shit all the time. Uh, you have to understand, when Marilyn Monroe was around, there were no, there was no second, you know? She was it. She was the, she was the one that everybody wanted. And, you know, the president at the time was doing her on the side. He was, she, Marilyn Monroe, the world's number one sex symbol to JFK was a bottom bitch. That's how much of a fucking player he was. Donald Trump can't even begin to imagine that level of fucking swinging dickism, right? <laughs> That's he can't even imagine that level of pull. <laughs> I mean, if the legends are true, then he slept with one of the contestants from uh, The Apprentice, and perhaps a you know a, a trailer park hot porn star who you wouldn't look twice at if you happen to bump into them and they, you know, they drop their heroin money in the gutter next to you. You wouldn't notice them. you just keep on walking. JFK was banging Marilyn Monroe on the side. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. All right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we might leave it there for tonight. Um, we're going to continue this. We're about halfway through. There is more to come. There's so much more that we're, we're going to get out of this clip. And I hope you enjoyed tonight. And if you did, then join us again on Friday night, 7 p.m. Because uh, we'll finish it off. We'll do the rest of it. 
there's a lot more to get through. I won't I won't yammer on at the start of the show as much as I did tonight. So we can. <laughs> Minister of Fun came with a diamond. Prince Harry sleeps with a suitcase model. <laughs> suitcase suitcase model number twenty-four, if I'm not mistaken. That was her number. Congratulations. The heights of Meghan Markle. Yeah, so uh, come back, join us on Friday, and we'll finish this clip off. If you're a super nerd, that is. Uh, if not, well, you probably won't enjoy it much at all. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to follow all of our friends uh, at Real Person Penalties. Yes, Winning TV on tomorrow night, of course. Uh, Rational Times, Coffee Talk with Sandra. Everybody's favourite lover of French women will be on later. Uh, Joy of Pessy said he might be doing a stream in the next couple of days, so we'll see how that pans out. But uh, thank you. Thank you to everyone who contributed tonight on DLive. Uh, if you'd like to become a full-time supporter, of course, head to patreon.com slash boogiebumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button in your preferred podcast player. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, follow me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Uh, till next time, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. See you on Friday. And that'll be soon. Bye-bye.